0: sure it was too. So today is Super Bowl Sunday, 2023, uh, the game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Pittsburgh, or pardon me, Philadelphia Eagles. So how many of you are going to watch that game tonight at 530? All right, all right. Good representation here. And you know, if we were going in person to the Super Bowl, um, it's, it's probably, for one thing, it's probably a dream of a lot of people to go to a game, right? I mean, did you see some of those people in the news who were gifted tickets and like about turned inside out? They were so excited. It was great. You know the average last year for a ticket was about $6,000. The average this year, wanna guess? Well, there's inflation, you know. Nearly $7,000 on average to go to the Super Bowl. It's crazy. And yet, last year two fans gave that up for the fame of running on the field, for a chance to be famous on social media. Uh, One of those fans caused a brief delay in the game during the third quarter. I don't know if you remember this, those of you who watched last year. He raced onto the field and found plenty of room to run before he was finally taken down by security. And the man who was eventually led off the field by three security guards looked like he was carrying some sort of banner, but nobody could read it, you know? I mean, it was crazy. Uh, Before he was taken down, he ran nearly the length of the field. Maybe they should have signed him, you know, to be a receiver, I don't know. At one point, a Rams player was chasing him to get him away from the rest of the players, and... uh, Believe it or not, that was the second guy. There was someone earlier that the photographers captured as well. And this is all for the chance of running onto the field. And before that chance of running on the field and the social media thing and all, uh, they gave up the opportunity to see the game. Because I tell you what, once security carries you off the field, you are not coming back. So these guys are trying to be famous. A question for all of us, then, what does it mean to be famous? Very popular. Well known. Everyone knows you. People want to be like you. (laughs) You get a lot of attention. Sometimes victorious, if you're famous. Yeah, so lots of, lots of things. Uh, here's the deal. We are looking at the ministry of Jesus, and he wasn't looking for fame. He didn't run into the meeting of the Sanhedrin one night calling out, hey, I'm the Messiah, running all around the room. No, he didn't do anything like that. And actually, he never called out to crowds any time saying that. Jesus was not looking to be famous He came to be our Savior. So, last week we began the series uh, of Ministry of Jesus, and we saw that John the Baptist recognized Jesus as the Son of God, and he baptized him in water. And speaking of baptism in water, we are having an opportunity coming up here in the next couple of months, we'll nail down the date in a bit, uh, for baptisms. If you've never been baptized in water and you would like to be, or maybe you've had a stretch in your life where you feel like, I'd like to do that again and recommit um, this time. And and I did that, actually. I had been baptized as a kid, and then when I was older and I turned my life over to Jesus, I, I got baptized then because I knew what I was saying. When I was a kid, who knew, right? Um, so as an adult, I said, yes, I'm going to do what Jesus did. I'm going to be baptized. So if you want to be part of that, let us know. We'll have some More information on that in a little bit. So that was the start of Jesus' ministry at his baptism. And he selected some disciples then, as we know from last week, who for three years would see and hear all that Jesus did. And today, we're going to pick up the story in John chapter 2. If you're using the Orange Bibles, it's on page 993 in the Orange Bibles. And you can follow along in chapter 2. And that's where we will be this morning Any other verses, we'll pop them up on the screen, but uh, I encourage you to go ahead and pull out your Bible to John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Okay, let's stop there for now. So they're at this wedding. It might have been an extended family member or a close friend of the family, and Jesus and his mother are both there, and apparently the disciples also know this family because they're invited as well. And uh, these people in Galilee, it it was probably not that big of a town. It was probably a good-sized town, but they apparently knew each other well enough there. And this probably was not the first day of the wedding. Back then, weddings would last for a whole week. So as this wedding has gone along, apparently people have been drinking a little too much of the wine, and so all of a sudden, there's no more wine. And uh, what, so what does Jesus' mother do? She comes and finds him and says, hey, they have no more wine. Now, I don't know what she thought he was going to do, but uh, she maybe was helping the family of the bride and groom, and she came to him looking for help. Maybe he was going to go with some of the disciples and grab some more at somebody else's house. I don't know. Because running out of wine at that time was an embarrassment for the host. Uh, The wine was supposed to last the whole celebration and it was a major faux pas uh, if you didn't have wine anymore. So Mary did not know what Jesus was going to do next. She, like we said, she might have been looking for help but then Jesus turns to her and says, it says woman in this translation but when you look at the original language it's dear woman. It's a term of endearment and he says uh, you know I'm, I'm moving into my ministry now. I'm starting that. And I need to establish some distance between what requests you're giving me and what I am called to do. And he wants to make sure that she knows that the miracle he will perform is not because my mom told me so. Okay? He needs to have her realize she needs to take a step back now. That she cannot be asking him to do a lot of stuff because he has begun the ministry and he needs to listen to what the father is showing him to do and then he asked the question why do you involve me and in the original language that's really closer to you know she's saying they ran out of wine and he's saying well what does that have to do with you and me Uh, it it's a wedding that they're attending they're not hosting it so providing the wine is not their responsibility and Jesus tells her, my time has not yet come. My hour has not yet arrived. Hey, the particular time for me to minister is not right now. And Jesus takes this time to help Mary see that now when Jesus helps, it's not because she asked him, not only because Jesus is a grown man, I mean, really, you know, it's also he's beginning that ministry, what he's born to do to become the savior of the world. And Jesus says later in John 5, in verse 19, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So that's setting it up. What he's saying is, I'm listening to God the Father. I'm doing the same thing as the will of the Father. And Jesus says, you know, God the Father... There's also God, the, the Son, him, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And between the three parts of God, there is no uh, difference of wills. There are no contradictions in what they will be doing. So I'm not sure if Mary understood what Jesus told her, but she turns then, and, and there probably was a pause. It probably wasn't immediately after Jesus said, you know, my time hasn't come. He, he prob- she probably didn't get say, hey, do whatever he tells you right away. She probably paused a moment and thought and then turned and said, well, do whatever he tells you to do. She didn't know what he was going to do next. Maybe she needed to get back and help in the kitchen. Uh, she clearly left the problem of the no more wine in Jesus' hands. And in some ways we could think, you know, This is Jesus' first miracle. Uh, Why is the first miracle that Jesus does making wine for a wedding? Uh, It's a great question to ask ourselves because in contrast to healing somebody or setting them free or raising them from the dead, it, it seems a little trivial, right? So what purpose could there be in this miracle? What do you think? Why do you think Jesus did that? To show he's the son of God. Especially to the disciples. Yeah, anything else? Shows he provides. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jesus cares about everything in our lives, right? We just said we're amazed by how he loves us. And that means that we can say he cares about everything about us. When you look at who you are and who God is, you can say God loves you So totally, he cares about everything in your life. He's a God of more than enough. Nothing that he uh, could help you with is too trivial. He is concerned about you. You can take everything to him, everything. So what happens next in this account at Cana, at the wedding, is a ministry moment and a miracle that was actually kind of private, right? There are just a few people there. There's the servants and a few disciples and Jesus. Those are the only people there that know what happens next. So it says, nearby are six stone water jars. And these would have been really large jars. Uh, They held 20 to 30 gallons each. Now, to think about that, that's twice what the average car holds in gas, Okay. Think about how big those jars were. They're probably three feet tall and eighteen inches wide. Those were huge. And verse six tells us what they were doing there was they were part of the ceremonial washing. And what that was is that the Jewish people when they would eat and uh be around food, they would have to wash their hands, and there was a ceremonial hand washing that they all would do. And so this water would have been poured out onto the hands of the family and the guests at that wedding. So Jesus had the servants then fill the jars all the way up to the brim. In other words, as much as they possibly could hold. And the servants, it doesn't say that the servants were like, "What? Well, what? Do you, why? Well, how's that going to help?" nope they didn't. Even if they thought it was a little strange, they obeyed. And if, even if they didn't understand it, they did what Jesus asked. And then the miracle happened. And sometimes we just have to obey what the Bible tells us. Sometimes we just have to do what God tells us, even if we don't understand it all. And our obedience brings to pass the will of God in our lives. The miracles, the, the ways he helps us, all the blessings start from that point of obedience. So, what are some areas of our lives that we need to be obedient in to see the will of God? What do you think? Finances. Everything. Yeah. Relationships. Marriage. Yeah. Jobs. Everything that we are obedient in is what God wants us to be obedient to Him in. There's everything in our lives. He wants us to obey him, to be thinking of what does God's word tell me? What has God put on my heart to do? I need to obey that and do that. So Jesus then said, now draw some out. So they obviously had a way to draw out some of the water with a ladle or something. And um, they, when they drew it out, apparently it was water still. But as they walked over to the master of the banquet where Jesus sent them, somewhere in there it turned into wine. And sometimes we just have to move forward in what we know is the command of the Lord or doing the things of the Bible or the things we know God has called us to, the things he has put on our heart to do to be able to see the power of God in that situation. In Joshua 3, you know, we in our Thursday night Bible study, we've been studying the book of Joshua. And in Joshua 3... Verse 14, it says, So when the people broke camped across the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing and piled up a great distance away. So you see... The priests actually had to follow what God was telling the people to do. And they even had to put their feet on the edge of the water. Their toes might have got a little wet at first. And it probably looked a little dangerous because if the river's at flood stage, it's really churning, it's really moving, there's a lot of water. And the power of God, when they got to the edge and their feet touched the edge of the water, it pulled back out of the way so they could cross on dry ground. Amazing, the power of God moved the water away in response to their obedience. When we have a problem and we can't see how it's going to be fixed, when we have something we are struggling with, we need to follow what God shows us to do and not look at the situation, but at Jesus and know that his power will get us through. We've been talking about Psalm 23 a lot today. And it starts with, the Lord is my shepherd. He, a shepherd, cares about his sheep. God cares about you. And that part there in verses 4 and 5 says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. See, even though we're walking through what might seem like the valley of the shadow of death, it might be the most difficult time you've ever experienced. It says you're going through it, not stopped at it, not camped out in it, but going through it, not around it or over it and avoiding it. But sometimes we pass through those difficult times, and as long as we are following our shepherd Jesus, we will get through it. And he prepares a table. The Father's table for us, where He anoints us with oil. That was a sign of blessing. That was a sign of calling out someone to a specific thing. And also, oil was used for healing, a salve for wounds. So, as we come through this difficult time, this so called valley, and we get to the end of it, and we sit at the Father's table. <clears throat> Jesus sustains us. He nourishes us physically, spiritually, and emotionally. These servants in John 2 had to follow what Jesus told them to do, and then they saw the miracle. And then it tells us that the master of the ceremony, the master of the banquet, said the wine was so good it was like Grand Cru, you know, the best there is. It was phenomenal. It was so good that the banquet master calls the bridegroom aside and says, Wow, this is the best wine of this whole event. And, and normally, you don't save the best wine till the end. This is amazing. When God meets a need, he gives us the best thing for us. God doesn't do anything halfway. We've already said that this morning. He doesn't just give you a teeny bit and say, well, I hope that'll get you through because I got no more for you. No, he gives you a blessing. He pours out abundance on you. It's what we need and more. And if you need more, there's more. He will give you what you need. He gives you the best thing for you. In Joel 2, verses 28 and 29, it says, And afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And there was a fulfillment of this in Acts chapter 2. God poured out his spirit, and Peter... Uh, referenced these verses and said, this is that time. God is pouring out his spirit. So we could look at that and we could say, well, you know, they got the good stuff. I guess we just get what's left over. It's not as good as it used to be, you know. No. We don't get a lesser gift of the Holy Spirit, not just because they had a great time back then. We get all that God has for us. We get a refreshing, a blessing as good as the original in Acts chapter 2. We just have to ask to receive it. This miracle of the wedding wine revealed the glory of Jesus, it tells us, in the end of that account, and helped his disciples to put their faith in him. What a wonderful thing that even at the beginning, there is so much for us to see in that account. So let's read on in chapter uh, 2 at verse 12. After this, so after the wedding, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove them all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us? Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. So apparently we learn as we start this account that his mother has become one of his followers because she's mentioned here again as being with the group of disciples. So she they first go to Capernaum, which is 15 miles from the wedding in Cana. And then while they were staying there, all of a sudden it becomes time that it's going to be the Jewish Passover. And what people did uh, was to go to Jerusalem for that time if they could. And part of the practice for Passover was cleansing, removing any yeast from your house that was supposed to only be unleavened on bread. And they would also offer a sacrifice to cleanse themselves from sin in Jerusalem at the temple. And the community, there was a, a an offering for that as well, for cleansing from sin through those sacrifices. So it tells us that Jesus goes to Jerusalem, and that is a 77-mile journey. So it wasn't quick, but as they go, the first thing that they did apparently was to go into the temple courtyard and... And Jesus sees what's basically a farmer's market going on there. They're selling all kinds of stuff, and they're exchanging money. Uh, Part of the process was that you had to have the correct type of money because, you know, heaven forbid you should use your own type of money from where you came from. And so these people, many of them coming from Passover, came from outside the area, and so they had to convert their money into the official temple uh currency and to change it into those correct coins and people in this change exchange of their money for the temple coins were being charged an exorbitant rate these money changers were taking advantage of these people and the whole process of getting an animal to sacrifice was taking advantage if you came and you brought what you thought was a perfect lamb to sacrifice they would say no i'm sorry." You can't bring your own animal. I'm sorry, you have to buy one from us. And so the whole process in there was exorbitant and taking advantage of people. And uh, the worst thing about it, it's taking place inside the temple courtyard. And this should be a place of worship and for sure a place of safety, not a place where you'd be taken advantage of and not a place of buying and selling. Anything of buying and selling was to take place outside the temple courtyard. So Jesus, it tells us, takes some cords and makes a whip out of it and drives out all the animals, scatters the coins, overturns the tables, and calls to the people to get out and says, how dare you turn my father's house into a market? And as part of the Passover, the theme of cleansing, Jesus is cleansing this sinful practice, these sinful things out of the temple courtyard. So then, of course, you know, those in charge are not happy. And they come over and say, "Hey, what are you doing? Who gave you the authority? What sign can you give us to prove that you have the authority to do all this?" And these angry Jews knew that Jesus had just said that the fa- that God was his father because he said, "My father's house." And was basically telling them, "I'm the son of God, by the way." So they demanded that he prove it. Prove you have the authority right now. What sign can you do that will prove it? And Jesus gave them a prophetic word. He said, if you destroy this temple, I will raise it again in three days. And when they say, hey, it's 46 years that we've been taking to rebuild this temple, they clearly think Jesus is speaking of the actual temple building that they're standing beside, and they're thinking, there's no way. Three days, forget it. 46 years, we're still working on it. And Jesus hadn't said, I'm going to rebuild it. He said, I will raise it up. And he is talking about the temple of his body. In Scripture, it tells that we have a, our bodies are like a temple of God when we follow him, when we have the Holy Spirit within us. Jesus is prophesying about his death and his resurrection, something that the disciples remembered after he had risen from the dead. He's saying, you know, you destroy this body, this temple, it'll, I will raise it again in three days, which he did. And so this event, unlike the very private time at Cana, this event is very public and he was becoming well-known, it tells us, that people saw the signs and, and things he was doing, and they, they began to follow him. People began to believe in him. And it tells us that Jesus knew that some of those people were doing it for the wrong reason. They were doing it for the fame of, yeah, I'm following Jesus. You know, they're, I'm a Jesus follower. Not because their hearts were right and they had surrendered to, to follow him as their Lord and Savior, and so he said he knew, it says that Jesus knew what was in a man. He knew the heart of people. And Jesus today knows our hearts. He knows if we really believe on his name. And as we see, as we go through the book of John, it, we also find out that he cares about us so deeply. He wants us to become followers of him and follow him as our Lord and Savior. In all of this, Jesus was not trying to become a social media sensation. He wasn't trying to become famous for his miracles. Jesus was ministering to the people so that they would know that he was the son of God and that they would come to him as their Lord and Savior, as they would come to him to be their Lord and Savior. So Jesus clearly, even now as he starts his ministry, he's impacting people, isn't he? So what do we learn about how to have real impact in our lives? How do we have real impact? Well, first thing, according to what we've seen today, is we want to do what God tells us to do. Just like Jesus said he was doing what the Father was showing him to do, we need to see what God is doing and join him in that. We see the Holy Spirit moving, and we want to follow God and follow that. We listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us in that still small voice within us and the impression God puts on our hearts. We need to pray and follow Jesus and follow God's word. After Jesus' resurrection, he told them to wait in Jerusalem until they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's because it is impossible to live the Christian life, to follow Jesus Christ without that power of the Holy Spirit within us. We will fail repeatedly it will not be a good thing <laughs> trying to do it in our own power and God never intended that. We need to receive everything God has for us, including the filling of the Holy Spirit. If we're going to follow Jesus Christ, we need what Ephesians calls all the fullness of God. Also in Luke 11:13 Jesus said, "If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit?" to those who ask him. We just need to ask Jesus for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we're able then to do what God tells us to do. The second thing we need to do to have impact is wait for God's timing. Have you ever, even in a non-spiritual thing, kind of like jumped ahead of where you should and how did that work out for you, right? It didn't work so well, I'm sure. You jump ahead of what you're supposed to be doing and get the timing off. You can have some real interesting consequences. Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And what that means is that we want to wait on him to sense what God is showing us to do. Yes, there are things like going to work every day and things like uh, our schedules each day that we do But what we want to do is always, always be taking our day before the Lord. Start each day in his word, a time of prayer, and get his timing on things. Um, If you feel called to do a certain thing, maybe minister in your community or in a certain way to your family or friends, you need to pray about it and seek the Lord on it. And, And about everything with that, about sharing like what to say, when to say it, and God will show you. God will lay that on your heart at the right time. He will give you that, Im- that compelling to follow what he is showing at that time. Psalm 32.8, he promises that. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye upon you. I will lead you with my eye upon you. Part of God's timing, though, and why you don't always just run around and do everything and hope you got it right while you pray and ask God, Is because he's preparing us. He's preparing you for the things he's called you to do. And he's preparing the others to receive the ministry, to receive that word, to receive what it is that God is showing you. When the time is right, he'll let us know. When Pastor Steve and I felt led to plant this church, we waited on God uh, for almost... Two years we had for several years God had really been putting it on our heart. We didn't know when was right. we thought, well, this must be the right time. So we we said something to the leadership and we were set, told no, not right now. So we waited for two years praying about it, seeking God. after a time of prayer and fasting, God spoke to both of us independently and said, "Go, this is the time. So we want to wait for God's timing. And third, to make a real impact, you need to always make it about Jesus and not ourselves. Uh, We've all known people who make it all about themselves, right? Yeah, they're, they're not trying to draw people to Jesus usually, but to themselves. And even the ones that say they're trying to do good things can be really looking for that big social media impact and living this curated life where, you know, what food do I eat, what clothes am I wearing, you know, on and on. Trying to draw people to themselves, not to Jesus. And Jesus knows our hearts. And if we're making it all about us, he sees our hearts, he sees our motivation. But Jesus loves us, and he wants us to come to repentance, to surrender our lives to him so as we live our life, we're living it for his honor and his glory and not our own. 2 Corinthians 7, one says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, protecting holiness in the fear of God. See, sometimes that desire to be famous, that desire to have like a bunch of followers on social media, that can be like a filthiness of spirit. And we want to repent of that stuff and and lay it down at the cross. Ask God to cleanse us from that, to be walking forward in the things that he has for us. Jesus wasn't trying to be famous. His mission here, I'm thankful he wasn't trying to just be famous. His mission here was to save us from our sins, to bring us back into relationship with God and that would impact humanity forever by providing eternal life, providing salvation for us. He did everything to glorify the Father, everything according to the Father's will. Let's determine today that if we want to follow Jesus, making his name known and glorifying him, we want to make that stand today to do everything according to God's will. Would you stand as we close? Just ask everyone to bow their heads, please. And if you want to commit today to do the things that God chose you to do, to be obedient to him, following the word of God, and honoring God with your life, just raise your hand. Thank you. If you want to be filled with all the fullness of God, that is baptized in the Holy Spirit so that you have all that you need to follow Jesus Christ. Just raise your hand. Thank you. Lord God, we just thank you (coughs) for this example of how much Jesus cares about us and how much uh, he wasn't trying to be famous. He was trying and succeeded in being our Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you that Uh, You love us so much that you sent your son to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, and to be raised from the dead. And Lord, we thank you that uh, as we trust you, as we ask for your power within our lives, Lord, we can have it. Your word guarantees us that you give us that when we ask for that. And so, Lord, right now, For everyone who hasn't experienced that filling of the Holy Spirit, that baptism of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we cry out to you and ask you to call, to fall upon us, Lord God, to fill us with the Holy Spirit from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. Lord God, fill us up to overflowing, saturate us with the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we surrender all to you. We want everything that you have for us, Lord. Fill us up and give us your strength, your power, your wisdom to follow you completely. Lord God, we thank you for the, the fact that you didn't leave us here in our own strength and ability, but you have promised to lead and guide us. Lord, we want to have the kind of lives doing that, following you, that are impactful. And Lord, we want to do what you've called us to. Lord God, we want to uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to, Lord, be all you've created us to be. Father, I pray that as we encounter this next week lord we would call on your name each day every day when we get up and and lord ask you to be leading and guiding us through that day we just ask you father for opportunities to share about you with others who need to know lord help us listen to that still small voice within us that leads and guides us to say the right thing to use the right time lord god we thank you for all you're going to do in our lives in jesus name amen If you want further prayer for any of this after the service, please come forward. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.